Tonight on Farage, a story that nobody else wants to cover. Dominic Raab, the Deputy Prime Minister, has suggested that he's open-minded to 60,000 people waiting for asylum applications, many of whom, of course, have come across the English Channel. He's open to them entering the jobs market. Gosh, those gangs in Calais must be rubbing their hands with glee. Let me know what you think about that. GBviews at gbnews.uk. The fuel crisis. After a long morning trying to find some diesel, I've given up. But I've now found something else I can put in my car to make it work. And on Talking Pines, one of the Jackson 5, Tito Jackson. Well, I will be discussing all of that shortly and getting your views. But first, we must discuss Wayne Cousins, the former Metropolitan Police officer who murdered Sarah Everhard. He's now been handed a whole life sentence at the Old Bailey today. And it's been, I have to say, a pretty grim uh, couple of days at the Old Bailey. Very traumatic scenes. And our Home Affairs and Security Editor, Mark White, has been following all of it for the last couple of days. And he joins us now from outside the Old Bailey uh, Mark, it's been a pretty harrowing couple of days for the family, I think. Very difficult to listen to the evidence that uh, was heard here over the last couple of days at the Old Bailey. Uh, we know, of course, that the police service in this country enjoys a unique position of trust, unlike so many other nations around the world. Here, the police police by consent, but the Metropolitan Police Commissioner Cressida Dick acknowledged today that that special bond of trust had been severely dented by the actions of one of her former officers, Wayne Cousins, who in the most horrifying way abused that position of trust to trick and coerce Sarah Everard into the back of his car where he kidnapped then raped and murdered this young woman. Well, today, as you said, Nigel, he has been handed a whole life sentence. In other words, he will spend the rest of his life behind bars. I've been looking back at this very harrowing case. Caught on the dash cams of a number of passing vehicles, these are chilling images. The flashing hazard lights of PC Wayne Cousins' hire car parked on the verge. Then suddenly, a side view. It's grainy video, but this is Sarah Everard talking to Wayne Cousins. She's been stopped by a man she should have been able to trust. But Cousins abused his position as a serving Metropolitan Police officer, tricking the 33-year-old into thinking she'd done something wrong. It's hard to make out, but the figure sitting in the back seat of his car a short time later is Sarah, after she'd been handcuffed and placed there by the off-duty officer. Earlier in the evening, she'd been out buying a bottle of wine for a meal with a friend. It was as she walked home later that Cousins struck. He was also filmed in supermarkets, buying some of the items he'd use in the kidnap. He drove his young victim more than 80 miles towards the Kent coast, where he raped and then strangled her, dumping her body in this woodland near the town of Ashford. The next day, he's seen buying a petrol can and filling it with the fuel he'd used to burn her body. When police arrested this fellow officer at his Kent home, just a few miles from the murder scene, he denied ever having seen Sarah. Do you know Sarah? I don't know. This man has brought shame on the Met. 
speaking frankly, as an organisation, we have been rocked. I absolutely know that there are those who feel their trust in us is shaken. I recognise that for some people a precious bond of trust has been damaged. Our dedication to you, our public, remains undiminished. As Commissioner, I will do everything in my power to ensure we learn any lessons. The hired car Cousins used to transport Sarah and mobile phone cell site analysis helped detectives pinpoint his movements on the night of the abduction. He concocted a bizarre story that an Eastern European crime gang forced him to kidnap a woman for them as payment for debts he owed them. But he later admitted kidnap and murder. The area around Clapham Common, where Sarah was last seen, became the focus for public grief and demands that the authorities should do far more to improve women's safety. The inspectorate has produced a report where we are looking at the findings right now in terms of what the police need to do to, yes, be held to account, be more transparent, but fundamentally change their approach to these issues around crimes and violence against women and girls. This has been an enormously difficult time for the Metropolitan Police, not just because one of their own was responsible for a young woman's murder, but there was criticism too over the handling of the vigilant protests which broke Covid laws and saw violent confrontations. Scotland Yard's Commissioner Cressida Dick said she and fellow officers felt saddened, angry and devastated by the actions of one of their own. But there are too some awkward questions for this force and for Kent Police as the Independent Office for Police Complaints examines potential failings to properly investigate allegations of indecency against Wayne Cousins, some dating back to 2015. As Wayne Cousins begins life behind bars, the police watchdog will now have to decide whether there were failings around Cousins' previous alleged offences and whether an earlier intervention would have made any difference in his offending behaviour, which escalated in the most horrific way, ending in the murder of an innocent young woman. And Mark, in between the abduction and the finding of the body, I mean, Wayne Cousins was just continuing with life as normal with his wife and his family? It was utterly bizarre and some of the way in which he behaved was relayed to the court. For instance, uh, in the disposing of Sarah Everard's body, that was just hideous and so gruesome, uh, setting her body on fire inside an abandoned refrigerator with some petrol that he bought from a nearby filling station. Uh, but then as Sarah's body was burning in this refrigerator, he headed off to a DIY store to buy builder's bags to dispose of the remains. While doing that, he phoned his local vet because he was concerned 
about the fact that his dog was suffering from separation anxiety. We heard that conversation played to the court and apart from his obvious concern about his dog, uh, you would think that there was nothing wrong. I mean, utterly bizarre behaviour. And in addition to that, in the days after he then dumped Sarah's remains in a pond in this woodland, Hodes Wood, near Ashford in Kent, uh, he took his wife and his two young children to that very spot, uh, just yards away from where Sarah's remains had been dumped into the pond. As I say, aggravating features that uh, were taken into consideration by the judge as he handed down that whole life tariff. Ordinary, horrendous case. And Mark, Cressida Dick there was talking about trust trust in the police force, but I understand that Harriet Harman has now come out very publicly, and, and she's very critical, isn't she, of Cressida Dick's position and indeed her reappointment. Yes, I mean, there's trust in the police generally, of course, as a result of this. There's also a, why, uh, a, a more focused issue in terms of trust in Cressida Dick. Now, you know, of course, that she has become been under some severe pressure of late. There were questions about whether she would get an extension to her contract as Commissioner, but that was uh, just the other week announced by the Home Secretary in conjunction with the London Mayor Sadiq Khan that she would get another two-year extension. Uh, but there have been controversies obviously over the force's handling of the Black Lives Matter protests in contrast with the handling of the anti-lockdown protests. There was controversy over the inquiry into the murder of the uh, private investigator uh, Daniel Morgan more than three decades ago where Cressida Dick was singled out for specific criticism in that and the Metropolitan Police accused of institutionalised corruption. And then, of course, all of the controversy surrounding the murder of Sarah Everard, not just the fact that it was one of her own officers who carried out this appalling act, but the behaviour of some other officers in sharing social media, inappropriate social media posts about Sarah Everard. And then other revelations that this officer had been the subject of allegations of indecent exposure and now the Independent Office for Police Complaints is examining whether the force failed to properly act on these allegations. If that comes back and it's a critical um, a, a, a critical analysis, I should say, by the Independent Office for Police Complaints, then it could be very difficult for Cressida Dick to hold on in her post. As you say, Harriet Harman, a seasoned politician, was on GB News a little earlier today saying that she believes that Cressida Dick should go. The, the trust relationship between women and the Metropolitan Police has been completely broken. And in order to rebuild it, there needs to be action. And it's pretty evident the action that there needs to be. There needs to be a, a system whereby as soon as an allegation is made against an officer of violence against women, they are immediately suspended because she's always been in denial. She ignored the warning signs that happened on her watch. And when it came to light that it was a police officer using his powers as a police officer who murdered Sarah Everard, she said he was a badum, like it's one bad apple. She is not the person who's got any credibility to lead a, the change that women need to restore and have confidence in the police.
Well, the family of Sarah Everard issued a statement late this afternoon saying that they were pleased that Wayne Cousins has been handed a whole life tariff. They said also that they were relieved to know that this man who'd carried out such an appalling crime, taking Sarah's life in this manner, will spend the rest of his life behind bars. It has been really difficult and, and quite uh, heart-wrenching to listen to the family and their victim impact statements in court, Nigel, with the, the, their dignity uh, and their raw emotion as they spoke about the terrible loss that they had suffered uh, with the death, the death of Sarah Everard. This, of course, in stark contrast to Wayne Cousins, who lied repeatedly when confronted initially by the police before eventually admitting to the kidnap, rape and murder of this young woman. Well, tonight he has been taken back into prison custody where he will remain behind bars for the rest of his life. Mark, thank you very much indeed for that report. And yes, a very, very harrowing case indeed and our thoughts very much with Sarah's family and with her friends, and let's see what that full investigation comes back with. Uh, I have to say, for a variety of reasons, I'm very, very surprised that Cressida Dick is still there. After the break, should asylum seekers be given the right to work in the UK? And I ask that question because Dominic Raab, the Deputy Prime Minister, seems to be hinting at that. about the government and indeed the Petrol Retailers Association saying that the problem was easing. But I thought, well, let's give it a go. I've avoided the panic. I saw the queues building up last Friday night and Saturday morning. I haven't done anything about it. But this morning I went out. I thought, I've got to get some diesel because the car is running a bit low. I've probably got about 80 or 90 miles left and that's it. So off I go and I visited seven petrol stations and there was no unleaded, no diesel in any of the seven. I even, for my trouble, early this morning, managed to get shunted by a van at a roundabout. So not exactly a great start to the day. And I'm thinking, well, I know friends in London have managed to get fuel, but uh, I'm clearly going to have to hang on and maybe weekend plans are going to have to change. But one of the things I get every day, I get emails come in every day uh, from viewers of this programme and from elsewhere. And one of them this morning really intrigued me. It was about something called HVO. Yes, I know, you've never heard of it either. And frankly, I hadn't. But the email came to me from Alan Marcon, who works for Green and Reliable Heating. It's his own heating company. And he may have found at least a partial solution. So Alan is the business owner. He explained in the email that he's been switching to biofuels for the last few months, which are much, much greener, though I think perhaps a little more expensive. Alan, welcome to GB News. Uh, good evening. Uh, how are you doing tonight? Well, I was cheered up by your email this morning, because after a bit of a, you know, damage to my car and, and, and a wasted couple of hours, um, you cheered me up. So come on, explain to the audience what HVO is, please. HVO is hydro-treated vegetable oil. Years ago, approximately about 10 years ago, they had vegetable oil, which wasn't great. So they then took it back to the refineries and tried to purify it even better. With a lot of things now moving forward with hydrogen technology, running hydrogen through vegetable oil 
has made this fuel transparent like water, it's odourless, and it is more greener to the environment, so it's carbon net. So all those diesel motorists, they could swap to the fuel, and it is more expensive, but being green is more expensive, but it's a sacrifice we have to make to become green and move forward with the future. I find the benefits of HVO, it's cleaner, there's 90% less carbon, 90% less particulate. So ultimately, it is far cleaner for our environment, especially our children. Uh, and we're trying to put down out. already. You've been running this in your vans for several months. Um, how much a litre? Yes. I mean, I'm, I'm guessing sort of pump petrol at the moment is around about 140, something like that, uh, petrol diesel. What are you paying, Polisa, for this HVO? If I buy in small quantities, it works out about £1.77 a litre. If I buy large quantities, it's roughly about £1.52, including the VAT. Is so it? it's not much more, but if you buy in large amounts. So you get it delivered to your house or your business and you then put it into the car yourself or van yourself? Exactly that. It's as simple as that. Right. And so where do I go? Because, I'm, 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 frankly, I'm not having another morning like that. And I've got a reasonable sized garage, which would be safe storage. Where do I go to get HVO? Uh, there's a few companies. Uh, we go through the oil depot. There's Crown Oil. Uh, there's New Era Fuels. There's quite a few that distribute this on the normal pallet trucks. Yeah. And you can get them within uh, one or two days. So there well, is no shortage of fuel, especially green fuel. So could these companies provide this in volume, in your opinion? They can deliver 36,000 litres, which is the same lorry that would feed a petrol station. So, yeah. Alan, thank you for your email. You brightened up my morning. You've certainly brightened up my evening. I'm going to put an order in because I cannot believe this fuel crisis is going away anywhere soon. Thanks for getting in touch, and it's a great story. Thank you for joining us. Well, there you are. HVO, we may have found something of a solution. I just, you know, I wonder just in what quantity this could be delivered. And not everybody, of course, is going to have somewhere safe they could store a material like this. But I think it is a very, very interesting story. Well, sticking with haulage, uh, we know at the root of all of this is a shortage of HGV drivers. Uh, and this problem, as we've said again and again over the last couple of weeks, has afflicted much of Europe. But today we hear, in a big news report in the Irish Times, suggesting that there is an imminent national emergency in the Republic of Ireland. They too have a driver shortage. Uh, and I'm joined now by Eugene Drennan, President of the Irish Road Haulage Association. Eugene, good evening. Yeah, good evening, Nigel. So it sounds like the problem is almost identical to the one that we've got. Not quite as bad, uh, Nigel, in that uh, I'd say we had prorated to the size of our economy and to the size of our trading and to our haulage industry. We have a uh, more reliant uh, indigenous Irish driver uh, set of drivers. So we're not quite in the trouble that you're in. But nothing comes to the UK ever that doesn't impinge in Ireland and vice versa. We get a bit of it. And th they were very strong words, as you have said. But we in the Irish Road Association have been uh, 
sort of warning of this since 2015, the possibility of it. And in the last two years, it was upping our warnings. And now this year, uh, we could see the signs of it coming and we need a sense of urgency and a, a sense of a movement by the agencies of the state really and the other authorities that have to do with driving here with regulatory and other business of, of, to do with road transport. So we need that brought to the fore and we need movement and to make sure that we don't quite end up in the same messes in the UK. Yeah, well, we are in a mess. You're absolutely right. So perhaps the Irish Times are over-egging it slightly by suggesting that you're on the verge of a national emergency, but you have clearly got a problem. Is this because, I mean, given that this problem, you know, is all over, have, frankly, HGV drivers, over the course of the last decade or so, as we've watched uh, the numbers and the gaps grow, have HGV drivers been asked to work in too poorer conditions for too little money? Is that, is that really what's at the heart of this problem? Yes, it's, it's the biggest part of it. The problem is, is multifaceted, like any problem, and it's now a global problem. But in the, I suppose, in the expanding of the EU, really, and all the nations that kept in and, and, and the size of the area that we had to travel to, and the bigger the market got, we depended on the emerging nations for cheaper labour. That's what happened. Yeah. And it came through because we really had our focus on getting the business done, on volume, on, on how we went about our business, and we took our eye off the ball on quality. And indeed, you know, drivers in the UK, some of the um, parking areas and some of the motorway stops are less than what they should be at this day and age so to the quality of giving drivers. And also, uh, both countries, both Ireland and England, our focus has been on third level education and higher pints and bring our people forward. And we lost sight a little bit of appreciation and a network value to trades. Uh, to yes. I agree. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. No, and, I absolutely agree with you. I absolutely agree. That. Yeah. And I think this, this, this rush of cheap labour, as you say, it was sort of a race to the bottom, not just in yes. terms of money, but I think in terms of standards as well. Uh, but while I've got yes. you, while I've got you, I, I see today some stories emerging that the port of Dublin um, is being tied up in knots uh, by EU red tape, um, and I. I kind of think, and, I, and I'm not going to try, I'm not going to draw you yeah. into politics, I promise, no. but the Northern Ireland Protocol, we kind of view as being ever so slightly Monsieur Barnier's poison pill uh, with the withdrawal agreement. Um, it's made it very difficult uh, for us to get goods straight into uh, Northern Ireland from the mainland. Uh, but clearly, uh, these endless checks and paperwork, it's clearly having a bit of an impact in Dublin as well now, and I see the Irish government are now asking for an easing of these restrictions. I mean, I guess your members are very much in the front line of this too. Yes, and I, I have been involved in a lot of negotiations, and I don't mind giving you a political comment either. Um, we were overzealous about the enforcement of these rules. Now, they are there, the Customs Union Code is there, this is the new life we're, we're in. But there is a big lack of the English, UK-based industries embracing the new paperwork and uh, the, what has to be done for, the, for to come through these checks. And they must come to that because um, otherwise we'd be forever caught in this conundrum. Howsoever, I cannot see why we cannot streamline it somewhat. And yeah. some of the declarations, there is a, a plethora of declarations for, um, for going through either border now. And it will be shortly 
a bigger worry to me is the Port of Hollyhead, Fishguard or Pembroke or Liverpool, because shortly they'll be imposed there on the way into the UK. And if, I, if anybody's listening to your programme, Nigel, uh, in, in the UK of, of power, any influence in this, there are a few of these declarations that could really be simplified. And one is the, the declaration for safety and security. Now, that can be a tick box in one of the other declarations, not a repeat of all the, the declarations before. Now, this may sound very simple, but whoever set this up was never at the face of the job. <laughs> well, that was my big criticism of, of people in Brussels for over 20 years. I mean, look, some of it's nonsensical. I mean, the idea that we can't send a sapling you know, from, yeah. from, from, from England to Northern Ireland. Some of it's nonsensical. The rest of it, I'm sure you're right, common sense applications can be put yeah. into place. And we but, need reform but, of the Customs Union Code as well, Nigel, uh, just before we drift off that point, because it was written at a time, that Customs Union Code was written for the expanding Europe and bringing in emerging economies and uh, what the perception of then. It was never seen that we, the Irish, still very much in the EU, an island off an island, off the mainland. And that has thrown up a lot of, um, of now as we go through it, a lot of conundrums, as I say, and yeah. uh, different angles to it. And though you left, to a big extent, Ireland is paying the price because we've slowness of delivery. We are caught in all sorts of um, problems and costs that we didn't see either well, before this. Well, the one benefit is you've got more exports to Northern Ireland because of the difficulty of us getting goods in from the mainland. But, no, of course, Brexit was going to mean change. But I can promise you, Eugene, one thing, that, that many of these rules are designed to protect the single market uh, from accepting substandard goods. And I do promise you yes. there is absolutely no intention from any manufacturer of any product in the United Kingdom to sell duff goods into the Republic yes. or Northern Ireland, I promise you that. I know that I'm on record, Nigel, of saying it is crazy that we are setting, checking the standards, quite a lot of them, the English brought to the EU. It's your standards originally. And here we're checking in case the damage the EU. And may I say also on the declarations that are coming now, yeah. one major problem that we must iron out before you start uh, having the paperwork and having the declarations, our system, our custom system that we declare to here doesn't talk to your system. The IT hasn't been married. And that is nonsense of the highest order. It because really we is. want to get the paper. Yeah. And yeah. we should have that up and running before you start imposing these uh, yeah. checks and balances. Yeah. This needs to be sorted out. Eugene Brennan, thank you very much indeed nice for joining you. us. Thank, thank you. you. So kind of two stories there, really. One that the rules that have been put in place, the poison pill from Monsieur Barney is making life difficult for everyone and the whole thing needs to be streamlined and a bit of common sense applied. But the second, the most important point here, is you will see people out there, uh, fanatical Remainers, who will tell you that the HGV driver shortage is all because of Brexit, which you can see that Ireland and many other countries are suffering exactly the same problems. And it is because... Really, ever since 2004, we've opted very much for a low-wage economy, certainly in the West of Europe, certainly in the United Kingdom. It was a race to the bottom, a race to the bottom of wages, a race to the bottom of working and living conditions, and a race to the bottom in terms of the respect that we have for people carrying out trades. And I hope all of that is going to reverse pretty damn quickly. 
Now, a story that nobody wants to talk about, but I think we really should talk about. And it follows an interview in The Spectator magazine with Dominic Raab, who, of course, isn't just the Secretary of State for Justice, he's also the Deputy Prime Minister. And Raab was saying in this interview, talking about immigration, whether people have come here legally or illegally, but discussing all of this. And Raab, of course, was the Foreign Secretary, who said that up to five million people from Hong Kong could come into the United Kingdom. It's a lot of people. Now, that's not to suggest all five million would come, but he equated that with Priti Patel's family, who, of course, came from Idi Amin's Uganda back in the early 1970s. The difference is 28,000 came from Uganda. Hundreds of thousands will come, I've no doubt, from Hong Kong, and who can blame them for wanting to do so? But the point is this. Taking back control of our borders was a big Brexit message. Uh, reducing the sheer number of people coming to Britain was part of what the Conservatives got elected on in 2019. And it's pretty clear to me that Mr Raab has no real respect for this. Whilst he says, you know, issuing 100,000 visas to people to come in from Europe to solve the lorry driver shortage is not the answer, he does say that he's open-minded about the 60,000 people that are currently being housed in this country, asylum seekers, illegal immigrants, use whatever term you choose. But he's open-minded about them joining the workforce. Now, he says that once people uh, become integrated and speak the language, uh, that we'll have a better and a more harmonious society. But here is the point. Once people who've come here across the English Channel or in the back of a lorry or by whatever means, once they're in the jobs market, there is not a chance of any one of them being deported. They will claim their human right to work. Uh, they'll be defended by lawyers. And what Mr Raab is doing here, and perhaps the reason the other broadcasters don't wish to have this debate, is because it's all too difficult, is actually what he's doing is giving the best message that the criminal gangs in Calais have ever heard. Get to the United Kingdom illegally, and the Deputy Prime Minister will not just house you, not just give you pocket money, he'll also get you into the jobs market so you'll be guaranteed you can stay in the United Kingdom. If this proposal of Raab's uh, becomes real, then you can forget about 17,000 people crossing the English Channel in the first nine months. You can, you can multiply that figure several fold next year. And we need to have a proper debate. This government actually needs to be held to account because it made a series of promises to the British people, certainly on immigration, certainly on numbers, and it isn't keeping any of them. So, in a moment, we're going to go to Talking Pines, and I'm going to be joined by somebody who became famous as part of the Jackson 5. It is Tito Jackson, who'll be joining me in just a moment. Same language and we like the same type of music, yeah. I think. Yeah, no, we do. We do, we do. And growing up, I mean, there were ten of you. Yes. Ten kids. Um, there must have been a few, a, a few little arguments that happened between you, but oh, generally, yeah. was it a happy... It was a very happy family. We, you know, we're no different than any other family, yours or whoever. Yep. You know, uh, 
we brothers, we had our little bickers and we had our fun times. And that's still going on today forever. You know, you brothers, you're not ashamed to say this about that one or that one about whatever. You just yeah. let it hang out. <laughs> that's what we did. <laughs> but this musical talent, I mean, how, how was it discovered? Well, we started singing a little country and western uh, harmony, myself and my brother Jackie and Jermaine. With my mother, she washed dishes and we singing these background little parts that we had learned from three stoogers. Hello, 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 hello. We learned how to do that and <laughs> they converted to singing this country song. My father was a musician. He played yeah. blues over the weekend. I'd sneak his guitar and play it for months. He never knew it. I broke the string because he had told the boys, don't you touch my guitar when I go to work. <laughs> Saying that to a kid, yeah, it's like saying you could touch my guitar yeah, when I go yeah, to work. Yeah, so did, I did, did you I, own up to it? I started crying when he said, "Who broke this string?" So he knew. <laughs> he said, "Go in the room." I went in the room. He followed me there, and you know, put me back out there with the rest of the family, and put the guitar in my lap and said, "Show me what you know." I was playing and crying. And he looked over at my mother and said, Kate, this boy can play something, huh? She said, I told you, Joe, he's not playing with your guitar. He really wants to learn how to play. My father said, I tell you what, boy, you can have this here guitar. I'll buy myself another one when I get paid. Fantastic. But I want you to learn every song on the radio and, 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 and practice hard. So that's what I did. And my other brother's singing with us. We sing in Temptations, Michael, Marlon, Babies. On the ground, rolling cars, howling, vroom, vroom. Can I be in the group? No, you're too young. <laughs> you're just a baby. You're not in the group. We heard Michael sing at the elementary school, and he was so fantastic. We rushed him home. You're in the group. Me too, Marlon said. Yeah, you too. So, because, I mean, the Jackson 5 went on for a long time, didn't it? Yeah, we went on about seven, six, seven years prior to being discovered by uh, Motown. Yes. Yes. And that was a big, big moment, obviously. Yes, uh, we used to open up for Etta James and James Brown, the Shylights and our, uh, other professional groups. And finally, my father convinced uh, us to go and give an audition to Motown because we had a choice to do the David Frost show or audition for Barry. Barry walked over to us after the audition set. He didn't show any expression. We're playing and singing and dancing, trying to do our best, and he's just there. We're looking, trying to see if he's patting his feet. Is he doing something that's showing excitement? So after we finish our numbers, he walked up and said, I'm taking your first three songs, number one. We couldn't believe our ears, you know. And uh, he said, matter of fact, tomorrow I'm having a party for Diana Ross, and I want you guys to perform. I'm having a party at my pool. So here we are performing at the pool, <laughs> and in the audience is Smokey. The Miracles, Temptations, <laughs> Donna Ross, Martha Reeves, and Van Dyke. And, and you can't believe it. And we're singing their songs to them. Fantastic. And it's like being judged. And it's fantastic. They, they enjoyed it. But amazing success. And then, of course, Michael went on to become this phenomenal global My superstar. Michael has always been very, very talented and genius in his work. Uh, he loves it. I've never seen a person that loves show business more than Michael Jackson. He can get into a song and not leave it until it's completed, and, or whether it's a song or stage or whatever. He's just a workaholic when it comes to that type of thing. He wanted to be the very best. Mm. Mm -hmm. But he was. Yes, thank you.
No, he was. I mean, uh, you know, he was, as I say, he was a global superstar on a level that is very, very rarely seen. Uh, I mean, astonishing record sales. Constantly on the radio. Well, it's, it's there all the time still, isn't it? All yeah. the time. Yes. And even in times like this, you know, interviews or whatever. Yeah. I'm not blaming anyone. I'm sorry, but I... No, you know. no, there's nothing to be sorry about. It's just the way it is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is. Now, America. I've got to talk to you about America because... You know, I think in many ways in this country, I think we look up to America. You know, we, we, we tend to follow many American fashions and, 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 and much of what goes on in America. And right now, looking at America, it looks very, very divided. We see reports of crime going up in the cities. It, it, it doesn't feel, although America's that happier place. Well, uh, you know, whenever you're living a life or whatever, going through life, and you expect things to get better and better and better yeah. and better. And every once in a while, you might have a stumble or two. And I think America will be back on track. As a matter of fact, they're getting back on track now. It's a matter of time. It, 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 this didn't happen overnight. We're not going to fix it overnight. But uh, America is still America. America is still a loving, caring country. And you're absolutely right. Not only do you guys look up to us, but we look up to you guys. Ooh. I mean, we love your cars like the Bentley and, the <laughs> and so so. It's hard to get away from. Yeah, but it our does. Connection. But it, no, that's right. It is a very very strong connection, and and, and 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 it has been for a very long time. We had a bit of trouble back in 1812, but I think yeah. we've moved on from that. So you feel that these divisions in America. As I said, the, you know, the violence, the, the rise of violence in the cities, I mean, they're quite disturbing. The opioid deaths, I mean, some of these things are disturbing, but you feel America can get itself back on track. It, it has to, you know, because it's all about loving one another, and that's what my new uh, project is about, uh, my album. Yes. It, it, the title song with Stevie Wonder and my brother is uh, Why Can't We Love One Another? It's not just speaking to America, but speaking to the world. So... Yeah, now you're really active, and I see that you, you, know, you launched a single earlier on this summer, and you've got an album yes. at the moment, and there's all sorts of people appearing um, and, and working with you in this album. Yes, uh, yes, I've had collaborations with Joe Bonamassa, uh, uh, Stevie Wonder, George Benson, Eddie Levert from the OJs, my brother Marlon, so I did this uh, album during the COVID time, and I was trying to figure out... Uh, what would be a good song, especially after seeing all the case chaos that was happening in America in January after elections, uh, storming of the Capitol. And I just felt we need to tell people to remember to love one another. And if we can remember that, that's the first step. You know, we can grow from there. Do you get yourself involved in American politics or do you keep as far out of it as you can? I mean, how do you... The closest people I, must ask you all the time. The closest I get to politics is in the music. You know, I try to spread peace and love and harmony and those type of things. But as far as hands-on politics, no, it's, I'm not a Kanye West or anything like that. No, well, he... I mean, I, <laughs> that, was all, that was all a bit bizarre, wasn't it, really? Um, kind of running for president yes. and... I mean, what did you think he was doing? I don't know. I have no idea. But I guess he knows, but I don't know. <laughs> but he's a talented guy, yeah? He's very talented. Yes, he's very talented. And uh, I just think my place is in the music business. I can spread the message, uh, yeah. show love and peace through music. And, and you love music, you, you know, blues, 
your guitar, singing. You love music, music that we can actually listen to, music we can understand yes. what the words are. And you know where I'm going with yes. this. Yes. <laughs> yes. What do you make of some of the modern music? I mean, some of the really drill music, well, it's aggressive language. When I listen to some of the music today, it is a turn-off. But when I listen to some of the music today, it's a turn-on. Because we have artists like Bruno Mars, who's excellent. I mean, this young man uh, come out with some excellent songs. And uh, I enjoy his craft. But then you can have another artist, I don't want to mention names. No, sure. Totally, you don't even want to play this music around your children. Or well, your that's mom. the point I was making. Exactly. I mean, it's aggressive, it's violent, it's, some of it, incredibly anti-women. They have totally flipped it, and it's sad because that can be controlled like everything else is, you know, but people want to make that dollar. And it seems like the bad stuff sells more than the good stuff. So what can I say? And in terms of selling... You know, I mean, the old days of people going out and buying vinyl records, of course, you know, yes. we've moved on and yes. it's online. And from what I can understand, uh, for musicians now, it's the live performances that really is where the income is. The live performances, that's what uh, most musicians are looking forward to. You know, our album is nothing more than a commercial. Well, the Jacksons has um, two or three million. I yeah. think I don't have that many. Uh, I, I just piggyback off them. Speaking <laughs> <laughs> in my ear because she's from that part of the world. Yeah. So. Oh, wow. You like Wolverhampton Wanderers? Wow. So are you, you going to go and see them at Molyneux? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. On the second, I, I'll be there. They're playing Newcastle and I'm going to be at the game. <laughs> I'm hoping to go on the pitch and maybe talk to the fans. Oh, fantastic. And it's funny, you know, because NFL now comes over here uh -huh. and this kind of developed a following really quite quickly. But soccer in America, I was obviously before lockdown, I was in New York. Mm -hmm. And when the English Premier League games were on, you know, like on a Saturday, and this is like 10 in the morning, New York mm -hmm. time, and the bars were just overflowing with people watching Premier League. And you get into a taxi now. You know, I might go to DC or whatever, I get into a taxi and... You know, the first question the cabbie asks is, you English? Say, yeah. Which team do you support? I mean, soccer's really caught on in America, isn't it? Yeah, well, uh, I look at generations like my kids, you know. Uh, they all played soccer since yep. this big. When I was a little boy like that, it was all about baseball or football. Uh, Americans play football, but soccer side um, are the best in the world. And I'm guessing if America takes this game seriously you're going to be looking at the World Cup in a few years and thinking, maybe we can win this. Well, possibly. Because Americans do like winning, don't they? They like, they like to be competitive. Yeah. I'd noticed. Yeah. I'd noticed. Well, look, I have to say, it's a real pleasure you coming yeah. in, Tito. Thanks for having me. And talking... No, not a little bit. Um, I am... I'm going to wish Wolves well against Newcastle when thank, you... Thank you. ...go to the game. And if you can bring back... If you can bring back the bowler hat, as a fashion item in this country. That would be a pretty considerable achievement. Well, that was Tito Jackson, uh, and I hope you all enjoyed him being here with us today. <clears throat> well, that was very, very interesting. Yep, he's going to bring the bowler hat back into fashion, and I love it. We have got a couple of minutes left on the programme, 
and it is the barrage, the farage time. Yeah, you know, you fire in your questions, and I don't get any previous sight of them. So sometimes you really do pretty much catch me out. Let's give it a go tonight for the last couple of minutes. Anita on email asks me, why do a lot of politicians, top politicians around the world, keep talking about building back better? What are they referring to? Well, it's because they haven't got a mind of their own, most of them. So someone finds a phrase and it all catches on. And they all say, Boris does it, Biden does it, they all do it. Build back better. Um, I wouldn't read anything deep and sinister into it. You can go onto the internet and find all sorts of theories. I just think it's, it's just a phrase they've all adopted. They think it's cool. Um, and kind of when they all get together at the G7 or whatever it is, they all seem to like to say the same thing. Julie, on email, asks me, how would you deal with a fishing dispute in the Channel Islands? <clears throat> Look, I mentioned this last night. You know, we have already got 1,700 French boats fishing in our territorial waters, in our broader territorial waters. Uh, and frankly, frankly, what has happened in Jersey is a load more boats have asked for access into Jersey waters. We've limited the numbers. I, we've been so generous to France, it's not true. But if you offered them the earth, it frankly wouldn't be enough. And I do think, when it comes to the inshore fisheries, I do think that having significant numbers of French boats, whatever size, fishing up to six miles uh, from our beaches, uh, and even closer than that in the Channel Islands, uh, is not just bad for British industry, but hugely destructive to British stocks. We had a warning last night that what is going on with fish stocks in the Channel is rather like the collapse of fish stocks on the Grand Banks in Canada a few years ago. Boris, at some point, is going to have to have a proper stand-up fight with the French over this issue. He really is. Michelle says to me, do you think this country is soft on law and order? <laughs> we, co we covered the story yesterday of some people who'd been arrested five times in ten days for stopping traffic on the M25. How much weaker could you be? Yes, I know that a full life sentence has been, has been given to that appalling man Cousins today at the Old Bailey. But even if we try and get tough on law and order, our prisons are full. We haven't built enough to catch up, not just with a population that is growing, but actually also, uh, you know, to be fair, just more people committing bad, bad, bad crime. So, look, um, the last question, Jamie on email asks, what's your morning playlist? Tomorrow, I'm going to get the Jackson 5 ABC, which I remember when I was very, very young. Coming up next, you might remember those comments by Greta Thunberg calling us climate villains. Well, Colin Brazier is going to be discussing all of that shortly with Dr David Starkey. That won't be boring. First, though, the weather.